Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Thank you again for joining us uh, in worship together at Calvary Baptist Church. And I'm very glad that you're here. Uh, It was great to see some very beautiful faces just a minute ago on our screen of just the faces of Calvary. And I can't wait to see all of you in person, and I really hope that's going to be quite soon. So we're looking forward to that. This is also a good weekend just to recognize our graduates. Uh, We had a high school graduation here just this past weekend in Taylorville. Um, and so we want to congratulate those, uh, those students and all around our area that will be graduating here soon. We're just so grateful and uh, thankful for what you've done. And we, so we congratulate you and your families, um, whether it's high school, college, whatever it is. Just great job, and we're thankful for that. Uh, obviously, school will be coming to a close for most people uh, here pretty quickly. And so we also just want to congratulate all of our students and teachers, administrators, even our uh, parents who have become teachers over the last few weeks. Just uh, we, We're glad that you've done a, such a great job. But school may be over. Uh, the thing we're going to talk about today, though, is that learning really never stops. And uh, in fact, I read a quote this, this week, and the quote's very simple. Uh, it, it simply says this, I'm still learning. Now, that's a simple quote. It's, it's who wrote it that, that kind of gets my attention. The, the artist inventor Michelangelo said that, but notice he said it when he was 87 years old. And at 87, he says, I am still learning. So today, we want to start a new series, and we're going to refer to it by that title, I'm Still Learning. And we're going to use the image of of a light bulb throughout this series to kind of illustrate what we're talking about, this being a metaphor in many ways for when when you learn something and the light bulb comes on. In fact, around here, a lot of times, we talk about a an aha moment, a time when you something makes sense to you. And, and tell you the truth, maybe some of you are like me, I've had, I've had quite a few of those moments, it seems like, recently. And so this series may be a little bit out of the ordinary in that it's really going to be a current event-based series. Um, as everyone's acutely aware, uh, we've been in a time in this spring that has been unusual, to say the least, and perhaps the most unusual that I've experienced. In fact, it was the first weekend of spring 2020 uh, that our church began having our services exclusively online. And so that has been the, the, the basis of our, of our spring services, uh, all due to this, this coronavirus and the pandemic that's going on. So like most in our country, we have been in a basically a shelter-at-home type atmosphere for several weeks. But now our nation, our state, is starting to open up again. And even as a church, Calvary Baptist, we're making plans of uh, regathering together to, as, a, as a church community and also in our other ministries. In fact, uh, if you want to go to our website, if you haven't been there yet, we have uh, some plans that, of our regathering process at cbctaylorville.com. So feel free to look there. But as I, as I talk about this, and I'm sure most of us who are involved would be quick to say, I'm looking forward for this process to move ahead safely and as quickly as, as possible. But as I've reflected on that, and I see that we are, I think, moving in somewhat of a positive direction, there have been some things that I realize that I have learned or I am still learning personally, and I think hopefully as a church, we have learned and, and will continue to learn because of this process. So what we're going to do in the next few weeks is I want to focus on a few words that have become kind of prominent during this this time. 
and maybe some truths that as you look through, we've, we've learned, and they've either become more clear or maybe even a little more powerful, at least in my perspective. And with that being said, I'd love to hear that from you as well. If there's some, some lessons that you've learned, some things God has shown you, I'd love to hear about that. And you can either mention them in the comments, or you can send me an email at sswitzercbctaylorville.com, or, or put on the connection card. I'd love to hear what you've been learning through all this process, and maybe we'll include that as we go through this series as well. So uh, as we move forward today, one of the words that, that I have seen just become uh, almost bigger than life is the word we're going to talk about today, and that is unprecedented. Now, I think even as I say that, hopefully all of you recognize that has been pretty much every newscast, every commentary, every briefing we've heard has somehow used that word unprecedented. Unprecedented health concerns, unprecedented responses to the health concerns. It's not a new word by any means, but it's a word that has been used extensively over these last several weeks. And, and so that's a word that's just kind of stuck into our minds. Here's what the word literally means. By definition, unprecedented means never done or known before. Now, I, I read another quote this week, and some of you will recognize the, the man who, who quoted it. Um, he's referred to as Soli. He was Captain Solenberger for the, uh, an airline pilot that uh, did an emergency landing in the Hudson back in 2009, and it was actually called the Miracle on the Hudson. But, but if you read or saw any of the, the uh, information, when he was investigated after the, after the landing, one of the, the examiners remarked to him, and they said this, your actions were unprecedented. And so here was uh, Captain Sully's reply. Everything is unprecedented until it happens for the first time. And, and that's what we understand. Unprecedented is simply something that hasn't happened that we've experienced, but once it happens, then it's, it's something we would consider new or never seen before. Interesting, over these things we've experienced in the last couple of months, uh, things that most of us have never seen or experienced before, uh, there are precedents for many of these things happening, even in our own church, uh, our own country's history. Back about a hundred years ago, there was a similar pandemic that came across the, the our country and the world, and and it had very similar measures. They they shut down businesses, they shut down churches for for several weeks as they were trying to stop the spread. And so, what we know is. It, basically unprecedented for us, actually historically has quite a bit of, of precedence looking forward to. So sometimes they use a word like that so much that it kind of loses its value. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to focus on the one who is truly without human precedence. When I think of the word unprecedented, uh, God himself comes to my mind. And that's who I want us to, to think about today. While God walked on this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, people experienced many things that had, they had never seen or, or known before. And, and I actually want to focus on one particular event, and it was summarized this way. The book of Mark, chapter number 2, at the end of this, this event, the, the crowd says this, This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, Notice, we have never seen anything like this. Now think about it. That's actually the very definition of unprecedented, is it not? We've never seen anything like this. I want us to focus on this historical event for this morning and uh, see not only the way Jesus acted in an unprecedented way, but I think there's some lessons that he taught us that we can even apply to unprecedented times, perhaps, that we're living in as well. So let's back up and look at the story. Mark chapter number two, verse number one, uh, the Bible reads this way, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, let me stop there. The atmosphere is very electric. A lot of things are happening. People, uh, there's just this crowd of people that are crammed into one small listening space. And then as the story continues, verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, that's quite a scene if you try to picture that in your minds. Here's a, a man who's unable to walk. He's being carried in some kind of a cot or makeshift uh, uh, cot in some way through the streets. And, but that in itself is not necessarily unfamiliar. Uh, people would bring uh, those who needed help or healing a lot to Jesus for him to help them. So that becomes kind of normal, but it's part of what happens next that, that is really unprecedented. Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, well, that's too bad, isn't it? All that work, all the things, I mean, they had this great idea, we're going to get our friend to Jesus for help, and they've carried him, we don't know how far they may have carried this man and how much work they had to so far, and now there's this obstacle in front of them, it's called people, and because of the people, they can't get anywhere close to Jesus, so I guess we'll just have to come back later, right? I mean, there's, what do we do now? There's nothing else, and, and that's where the, the story gets interesting. Those same guys, when they saw the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Wait, what? Look at that again. Now, some people have said, well, there was probably already a hole in the roof of some sort that they used. Maybe there was or wasn't. The Bible says that they dug through the roof to, get the, to, to make an opening big enough for this man. To get, they were digging through a man's roof. I mean, somebody needs to call Jake from State Farm because there's going to be a claim here at some point. You know what I'm saying? They are, they are doing property damage to this man's home, and, and once they finished tearing through the man's roof, they did what they came to do. They got their friend to Jesus. The end of that verse says, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on, and they put him in front of Jesus, and then notice how Jesus' response begins. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. I want to stop there and think about that because what Jesus saw was more than the trouble that these guys went through. It was more than a man that had come in front of him. It was more than the disturbance that all, I mean, they interrupted his teaching as well as, as bothering someone's roof. But what he saw was, was faith, a faith, a confidence that coming to Jesus would make a difference a trust, a faith that it would be worth their while to risk all that they were going to risk to get their friend to Jesus. To get this man in front of Jesus, there was something unprecedented going on here, and he refers to that as their faith. Here's the first thought I want us to consider in whatever times we're living in, and that is when we talk about unprecedented, we learn that by faith, obstacles become opportunities. Now, we've used that phrase before, at least I have in the past weeks, but I want you to think about just how many obstacles uh, stood between this man and his miracle. I mean, he was paralyzed. He couldn't do anything on his own. He, he had no way for himself to get to Jesus. He was counting on his friends, and his friends had to inconvenience themselves to get him there, and then once they got there, there was the hard work involved, not to mention what they did to this man's roof. Can you imagine being the first guy who said, hey, why don't we go up and tear a hole? Who thinks like that? Who thinks that, I, that a good idea would be to tear up this man's roof? And yet, there, in, in all of this, what we see is here's an obstacle, but they're not going to let that obstacle stop them from doing what they, they came to do, and that was to get this man to Jesus. Let's move this forward about 
oh, 2,000 years, 2020. And let's think, who would have imagined just a few months ago that thousands of churches, very much like Calvary, would be gathered for worship on a Sunday exclusively online, and they would do it for an extended period of time? Or who would have ever thought that they'd continue meeting together in groups through uh, something called a Zoom call? A few months ago, most of us didn't know what a Zoom was. We, we had no idea the, the, the capabilities that were involved. And, and as we've marched through this season and we've muddled our way through some, uh, I would say, awkward all online experiences at times, as we've done that, who could have imagined that in all that we're still able to honor and worship God in a, in a reasonable fashion? Who could have imagined through all that we could still love on one another, even love on our community in creative ways? Who could have imagined that hundreds of people now would be able to see churches like Calvary that have never stepped through their doors just because the things have changed? Who could have imagined that those kind of obstacles could become opportunities? And yet that's what I've learned, that if we're, able, if we're willing to say, I'm not going to let an obstacle stop me, we can see how God presents some brand new opportunities. Man, I hope Calvary Church are listening to this, that we've, we recognize, we're learning that our mission that God has given us is, should be even stronger than ever before. Our job, just like these, these friends of this man, our job is to get people to Jesus. But are we going to let obstacles stop us? Are we going to say, well, you know, this is just too hard and I'll just wait till all this is done? Or are we going to take the obstacles and continue to work and, and see what opportunities God may have so that we can continue to see people come to Jesus? Because of their faith, they knew that Jesus could make a, peop, a difference in people's lives. He changed, uh, changes our lives. Do we believe that he can make a difference in others' lives? then are we, are we going to be willing to do whatever it takes, uh, nothing stopping us, whether that's inconvenience or being uncomfortable or uh, taking risks, whatever it is to do what God has called us to do to bring people to Jesus. It, it's got to be an all-hands-on-deck-whatever-it-takes attitude to do what God has called us to do. I think that's what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 9.22 when he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Every obstacle and opportunity. That, that's something that, that I'm learning. As we know, we see an unprecedented solution to a problem, but let's continue in this account. Verse number five of Mark 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? I mean, now we've got another, this, is, this doesn't make sense. I mean, this man is in desperate need of healing. That's why he's here. That's why they've gone to all this trouble. He and his friends have made a difficult journey. They've done the unthinkable. They've, they've done property damage to this man's house, and somebody's going to have to pay for that. I mean, all of these things that they're doing, the paralyzed man is gingerly lowered down in front of Jesus from the rooftop, and when the, he's sitting in front of the healer, the healer says, you're forgiven? If that bothers you at all, then, then you'd be in good company because if you continue reading verse 6, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Make sure you notice that. They didn't say this out loud. This was just in their thoughts. Verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the religious folks, they, they were not uh, any too happy with what he was saying. They, they comment on the fact and they miss the whole point that he didn't heal him. They just go right to those words of your sins are forgiven and basically said, who does this guy think he is, God? 
I mean, only God can forgive sins. That's essentially what they're thinking. In verse 8, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. This, this should have caught their attention, and of course, they missed it too. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Verse 9, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? You know, that's an interesting question. You think about it, Jesus, because... The accurate answer is no mere human can do either one of those. A mere human can't heal a paralyzed man. A mere human can't forgive anyone's sins. Exactly. The answer is neither. So what Jesus is about to show us is that I'm more than just a man. You said it. I I truly am God coming to this world. Verse 10, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Only God has an authority, so thus two plus two equals Jesus is God. He's going to show himself who he really is, and in doing so, it's unprecedented here what we're learning. Here's the second thing that I want us to to observe, and that is that Jesus identifies what is most important. We're talking about priorities here. You see, most of the people in that room, especially the man that was paralyzed and his friends who'd been involved, they they knew this man needed, what, what they felt he needed most was to be able to walk. But Jesus clearly shows us that what this man needed most was something you can't see with the naked eye. His problem was something inside. There was a change inside that needed to happen much more than, than healing his physical disability. So let's take this forward again to where we we live today. Please don't miss this, that everyone in this room with me or everyone listening to this this, uh, service online, there is a universal problem that we all share, and the Bible describes it this way. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And without God's forgiveness, the wages of our sin is death. You see, when he said, your sins are forgiven, what he was doing was going to the very core, the, very, the most important issue this man needed to deal with, and that was his relationship with God that had been marred by sin itself. And so whether, whatever we do in life, even if in the name of religion or church, we must never lose sight of the fact that the most important reason for anyone come to Jesus is, is not physical. It's not emotional, it's not financial, it's not social. Those, those things are all symptoms of the ultimate problem, and that problem is, is sin that's within us. We are all sinners who need a Savior, and Jesus came to give his life so that we could have that experience of the forgiveness of sin, just like this man did. In fact, here's how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 1, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the same guy who wrote that, Paul, talking about forgiveness, he he actually spoke candidly about his own experience with having his sins forgiven. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, listen to how Paul describes it. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. All right, I want to just stop here for a minute and think about God's work in salvation. You want to talk about unprecedented? 
That's what salvation is for any and all of us when we begin to understand it. There, there's nothing apart from what God can do that, that we would see anything more unprecedented than what he has done in salvation. Let me just walk you through some of the things Paul just said and talk about just some, some things that, that we have attributes of God unprecedented. First, we know this, God's holiness is unprecedented. God is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, completely perfect. That's something we can't grasp onto. He is complete light without darkness because we are not. We don't understand that because we, we don't understand absolute perfection. So for a person to even think, to even entertain the idea that in some way they might earn their forgiveness with God or they might do enough good things that to make him happy, they don't understand the unprecedented holiness of Almighty God. They're missing the fact that what Paul did, he was so excited about what God has done in his life because he realized how much he did not deserve it. He realized that if anything, he should, he should be cast away, and yet God gave all of this to him as a sinner, accepted by a holy God. That's amazing, which leads us to one of the things Paul said, God's grace is also unprecedented. Paul puts it this way, that God's grace was poured out on him abundantly. That, that's the word, something that you've never seen before. Grace, another word for grace is the word gift. It's the gift that God's given us, and it's unearned. It's, it's unmerited. It's something that God does just because of who he is for us as a holy God, even as we are sinners. And Paul goes on to say, God's mercy is thus unprecedented. Paul considered himself the worst of the worst. He, he knew that what he deserved was judgment, as all of us do. We all are deserving of that. And he was deserving of God's wrath, but he recognized that God put his judgment on his own son in Paul's place, who came into this world, Jesus did, as Paul said, to save sinners. He realized that this is God's mercy. What I did deserve, God chose not to give me because of the grace of Almighty. But here's another word that Paul uses, and that is God's patience is unprecedented. Look at Paul's description. He said all of this so that Jesus might display his immense, or you could put in the word unprecedented, his immense patience on me. Think about it just for a minute. Have you ever considered how patient God has been with you? Have you ever considered the fact of the patient? Why didn't God just take me out? Why does God allow me to continue? Why would any of, that's an unprecedented fact that God in his, in Paul refers to it as his immense patience, unprecedented patience. That's the attributes that God has shown in our lives. And so Paul, now he wraps his story up with this verse, verse 17, listen to this. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. What a powerful picture of the unprecedented nature of God. But let's take this back now to where we've been looking when it comes back to what we're learning about being unprecedented, right? Uh, let's go back to the times we're living in. There's nothing like a good crisis. <laughs> uh, let's, for instance, a worldwide pandemic, nothing like that to kind of get you to think about your priorities. What is really important? i I'll be honest, I personally... This time has caused me to rethink uh, a lot of things that I consider in my life and what is most important, everything from my life itself to my marriage to my work. What, what are the things that really are the, deserve the priority? 
Calvary, I hope that you have been thinking through this as well, what, that we recognize what's really important, what the church's priorities should be. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could be doing as a church, but what are the things that we should be doing as a church? What are the things that are to be the priorities of what God has called us to do? And one thing that I think we've got to make sure we understand that God makes clear is that this word forgiveness is right in the middle of our priorities. The fact that, that we have received forgiveness and there's a world around us that needs to know about the forgiveness that Jesus offered us and he has then given us the ability to share that with others. That's got to be right in the middle of our priority is that we were doing all we can to let others know that they too can experience his forgiveness. In fact, the, some of the final words Jesus gave to his disciples, if you remember Matthew 28 before he starts the Great Commission, he gives this statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's that word. He has authority to forgive sins. He says, now that authority that I have, here's what I want you to do with it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Take that forgiveness that I have, that authority that forgives sins, and share that with others. Make that the reality of telling others what they, have, what they need to experience. So we know that every obstacle can truly become an opportunity. We're learning that we need to focus on the things that are truly important, the priorities, even through the time we're at. But let's, let's end this story. The climax is verse number 10. Jesus said, you know, I want you to know that I have the authority to forgive. And he goes on to say to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Obviously, what they are witnessing is truly unprecedented. They have never seen anything like it. And there's one final observation that I want to share as we, we bring this thought today to a close, and that is this. Unprecedented power generates unprecedented responses. Here's what you got to know. What you're hearing today about God and his attributes and who he is, his power and all of those things, and what an incredible miracle this, uh, this paralyzed man. But think about this. It will produce a response. It always does. And, and there are going to be a variety of responses. You're going to hear this message. You're going to hear these words. And there is going to be a response. In this very room at the time of this miracle, think of some of the responses. There was a group of people that were hopping mad. The religious leaders were not happy at all. They missed the whole point. They left that room just seething about what Jesus has done. That was a response. They saw the same miracle everyone else, but their response was, was anger. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Then there are some relieved friends. I mean, they'd carried their friend for however far, and they went through all that trouble. They, learned, they tore up a roof and let him down, and their friend walks out. They're, they're rewarded. That's, that's a response. There's a whole crowd of people, the Bible says, that were amazed. They're giving God the praise and the honor that he deserves. That's a response. But don't forget, there's a man who was carried into that building, but he walks out with his bed under his arms. Now that's a response. What an incredible miracle. That is the unprecedented power of never seen anything like this. Now here's my prayer for us, that we truly respond to what God is doing and what he's teaching us and these unprecedented times and we look at who he is and we look at the things about him that we've that we've never seen before, things that he wants to teach us. And so I, I borrow a prayer from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter number three. And I want to pray that for you. And in fact, I have been praying it for all of us. And I, I want to just let you hear what Paul said. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to add one last word to this list of things we've talked about today, unprecedented attributes of God. God's love is unprecedented. That Paul says, I want you just to grasp how, how wide how long, how high, how deep, what, how far his love will go, how deep it can reach, how, how much it can change, how high, there's nothing too far, too high, too low that it can't get to, and there's nothing that it can't get a hold of. And then he goes on to say, and know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that literally means it's unprecedented. It's something we can't come up with and we cannot in humanly completely comprehend. So no matter what your experience, what you're going through, what, what you, his love never changes his love is fully engaged at all times. The love of God, how, how rich, how full, the song said, how measureless his, his love. Those are the, that's what we're talking about. The love of God that in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the love of God that we're talking about. And according to Romans 8, if you've experienced his love personally, you know him as your Savior, then you will never be separated from that love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So my prayer is that you experience that love in a personal way. And if you've not experienced it personally, you would do that. But if you have, that you would experience it in a fresh, in a new, in, a, in an overwhelming way in your life to know and to grow and to understand this unprecedented love of God that, that brings his power and his holiness all to bear and his grace and his mercy all wrapped up in that package of, of God's love. So, so my question is, how, how will you respond to to this truth today, to, to his love, to his power, to the unprecedented wisdom of God and all that he's doing. Will you recognize your need? Recognize the gift that he's offered. Believe that, that he offers that and he's given you that opportunity through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Will you receive his gift? And if you have received his gift, will you trust in that love? Will you fall uh, into the arms of, his, of the loving Father and his mercy and his grace and let him just show you what it means to truly be loved and loved in a way that will never be separated? As Paul ends up this prayer, he, he gives this one final word of praise, and I, I want to wrap it up today with, it, with Paul's words. Ephesians 3.20, he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, the one who's able to do the unprecedented in our life. Notice, according to his power that is at work within us, God wants to do something incredible in you and through you. Notice, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the question comes back, how will you respond to the unprecedented attributes of God? His holiness, his grace, his mercy, his love, his patience. Has there been a point in your life when you recognize that, that Jesus died because you were a sinner who needed a Savior, and he died for your sins, and, and you recognizing that, you admitted that you were a sinner, and you, you put your faith and trust in the Savior who died for you, and you confessed your need, you confessed your sin, and you received his gift of eternal life? Have you done that today? If not, why not this morning? Why not today say, God, I recognize my need as a sinner and I believe Jesus died for my sins. Please save me. Come into my heart. Forgive me. I repent, and I want to follow you with my life. Would you do that today? Would you receive this gift, this unprecedented gift that God gave us through his son?
And if you do know him today, let me encourage you that the love of God that saved you is the love of God that holds you. And that love of God, will, you will never be separated from that love. Find comfort, find strength in who God is and what he has done in your life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do thank you for who you are and we thank you for, as we have used the term, the unprecedented attributes that you have, your love, your mercy, your holiness, your grace. And Lord, I pray that under the sound of my voice that right now you are just speaking those truths into people's lives. That if there's one that's listening to me that has not yet received that gift of salvation, that today you would draw them to yourself and they would, they would pray and receive the gift of Jesus Christ that he, he purchased by his death on the cross. And for those of you, those that know Christ, Father, I pray that they would, they would just be encouraged, be comforted, be challenged to do whatever it takes to bring others to your love, to do whatever it takes, to risk whatever, to be willing to take whatever measures possible to see that they do what you've called them to do and just to rest in the love and the mercy that you've so abundantly given them. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.